and the way he interacts with others, the healings, the miracles, the suffering, the death, the resurrection, and the ascension. So let me pray, and then we're going to get, I'll give you a little background on this passage, and then we'll, we'll move from there. Let's pray together. Lord God, today we have the opportunity to celebrate communion. We get to commune with one another as we commune with you. We do this in remembrance, but sometimes we think of just remembering what you've done, but actually what you're calling us to do is to, is to live your life now. You want us to remember like the Jews remember the Passover. They, it becomes part of their own history, part of their own story, part of their own lives each time they celebrate it. So Lord, as we celebrate this sacrament, we ask that you prepare our hearts, our minds, so that when we receive it, we receive grace from you. And Lord, for your proclaimed word this morning, we ask simply this, that you speak to us, that this be your message for us, not my message for them. So give me, stand in my shoes, give me your thoughts and speak with my mouth so that we hear what you want us to hear today. We pray this in the name of Jesus, through the power of the Spirit, for the glory of God our Father. Amen. So last week we, were, we talked about the, the, the woman, the sinful woman, as she's talked about here. And she anointed Jesus. She came in when he was at a Pharisee's house. Um, she she, she was, stood behind him at his feet. He was reclining at the table and then began to cry on, over his feet and wipe his feet with her hair. And then um, out of the alabaster jar of perfume that was probably the only valuable thing she owned, she, she anointed Jesus' feet. And he had some conversations with the Pharisee who was named Simon um, and had some things to, things to teach and some things, some challenge. And then what we see in, the, in, the, in chapter 8 is that it says this, uh, and this won't be on your screen, but um, after this, Jesus traveled about from one town and village to another, proclaiming the good news of the kingdom of God. And it's easy in Scripture to think that Jesus, Jesus he has this moment, and then he immediately kind of sprints off or grabs an Uber and ends up over here and has this moment and this moment. But just so you know what the speed of God, when someone, if someone's ever said to you, God speed to you, just so you know, that's about 2.3 miles an hour. Because that's about how, what's the average person, that's about the speed they walk if they're not, if they're not doing speed walking, if they're just walking. So Jesus going from town to town, keep in mind that he has, he has all of this opportunity, all of these times when he's walking with his disciples, just talking. And when they come across people on the street, just talking. But Jesus walks for three years at about 2.3 miles an hour. And when he would walk and he would come into a new town, really, really cool things happen. And he told the story of the parable of the sower, the sower and the seed. Most of us are familiar with that. And then, then he moves on to uh, lamp on a stand. You don't hide it under a bushel. No, you're going to let it shine. And then he has a conversation about Jesus, his, his mother, and his brothers. And he says, you know, my mother and my brothers or whoever hears the word of God and does what it says. And then we get to this passage. Um, Jesus asked the disciples to do something that it, maybe it surprised them. I don't know, but Jesus was a craftsman. He was either a stonemason mason or a wood carpenter. He was a house builder. Um, and so that's his, that's his upbringing. Uh, so when he has conversations with fishermen, um, unusual things happen. 
And so Jesus, it says here that Jesus, one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's, let's go over to the other side of the lake. Now, that's the Sea of Galilee, uh, the Sea of Tiberias, and Lake Gennesaret. They're all, they're all the same thing. They're just called different things from different regions. So one day, Jesus said to his disciples, let's go to the other side of the lake. So they got into a boat and set out. As they sailed, he fell asleep. A squall came down on the lake so that the boat was being swamped. And they were in great danger. Now, I don't know if you've ever been in a boat that's being swamped. Um, I can tell you that I've been one time, the scaredest I've ever been in a boat, um, had my life jacket on, had my Gore-Tex on. Everything, it's the first time I've ever had a life jacket on and strapped it down tight because I thought going in. There was a bass tournament up Torch Lake, I believe it's called, very big lake on the north side, or up, up north. And um, we go through this little channel to go up there. And it, and it was calm, but when we got into Torch Lake, the wind was blowing right down the lake, and it's just a long, narrow lake with hills on the side, and so the waves were piling up, and my fishing partner and I were in a 17 and a half foot nitro. So it was a Z, it's, a, it's a Z7, and uh, never felt uncomfortable in that boat before, but we were uncomfortable that day. So one of our parishioners, Kyle Borst, and his fishing partner, uh, Dave, were, were fishing in this area, and we realized that Number one, we're not going to win this tournament. Number two, we should not be out here. Um, so we said to Kyle and Dave, just keep an eye on us every now and then. Um, we're going to go to the other side, see if we can find some clean water so we can just go back and, and be done. And as we were going across the water, the swells were so high, and we were riding what you call the trenches, that there were two minutes when Kyle and Dave could not see us on the lake, even though we were kind of parallel to them. We were just a little bit, we'd gone a little bit further and then go across. But when we turned, we got the other side, there was not clean water over there. And when we turned um, and started going, the waves are coming with us. And if you've ever been in a small boat with an outboard, you know that, that when, you're, when you're riding those waves, you kind of have to surf them. And then you have to slow down because you do not want to come down on the crest of the wave in front of you. And two, two times we porpoised. We, we, hit the, we hit the wave and it came over the bow. So much so that we had water in the, in, in, in the cockpit up to my, halfway up my shin. I had rubber boots on that come up here and twice water got in them. Um, and we, we're strapped down and he had his bilge pump going and I've got a little thing I'm trying to figure out how to bail. Um, it was terrifying. Now, I don't, usually I don't, I've been in three or four situations when I should be terrified, but I'm okay in the moment. But afterwards, you realize when you get the adrenaline shakes, have you ever had that when you almost get in an accident or someone almost swipes you and you're like, you do everything right. And then afterwards you're like, and, you, and your hands are kind of shaking. And then you, you try to talk to your wife like, oh my goodness. But you're like, oh my goodness. You almost had that almost cry thing going on that you had when you were a kid and your dad told you not to cry or he'll give you something to cry about. <laughs> so... I didn't understand this passage like I did then. If you look in the gospel according to Mark, this story of them being on the lake heading over to what, what Mark called the Decapolis, what Luke calls the Gerasenes, um, the word that Mark uses for the storm, the squall, is earth, it, it, it's the same word that you would use for earthquake. So it's, it's a big deal. And if you know the Sea of Galilee, the, the um, sea, sea of Tiberias, Lake Gennesaret, um, it's 700 feet below sea level. And it's surrounded by mountains, I guess you could call them. But Jesus preached his sermon on the mount on one of these big hillsides. So it is not uncommon for weather to get really, really ugly, really, really fast. So the disciples who James, John, 
The, the, so Peter and his, and his brother, John and his brother, they're, they're fishermen. They know what they're doing. But they're on this lake. The wind comes up, and they're about to be swamped. They're scared. And the disciples went, well, I just love the fact that Jesus is sleeping. You ever been in a, in a, in a, in a blizzard on the highway with whiteouts? and you're the passenger, how are you sleeping? When you're trying to follow those two red taillights from a, from a semi that's about a quarter mile up in front of you because you're hoping if he stays on the road, I'll stay on the road, you sleeping well? Imagine being in a 17 to 25 foot boat made out of wood and or reeds, having water come over the top, and here's something we may not know, that the disciples, when they're out in the, in the middle of the lake, they understand the bottom of that lake to be what's called the abyss. And the God, the pagan God of chaos and weather, that's where he resides. They also believed, some of them, that, that that's where the demonic kind of come from. The local demons, they kind of live in the abyss. And you'll see in a moment, some of the demons not wanting to go back there. So the disciples are with Jesus, and they're going over to territory that Jews don't go to. The Gerasenes, it's, it's, uh, it, it's Roman territory. It's where people behave in ways that Jews would not have them behave. It's where everybody's unclean, and, 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 and it's harsher Roman rule even than some of the people in Galilee. So when the disciples see this storm come up, if they believe any of the legends, if they believe any of the superstitions, and even if they don't believe them, but they believe them, they're with Jesus, who they're not really sure who he is yet. They, they, they get it, but they don't get it. And now chaos is trying to kill them. But there's a beautiful picture of Jesus in this. The fact that he's sleeping, that means he's tired. Now, we don't often think of God, Jesus, with God in a bod. We don't often think of him as tired. But he walked everywhere he went, and every time he was with anybody, someone wanted something from him. Over time, because he was fully human, yes, fully divine, but fully human, he's exhausted. Remember how often he would say he went off to a quiet place to pray? Some of that, I've got people living with me right now. I love my daughter, my son-in-law, my granddaughter, and I even love the little boy that's to come in May. Um, but they've been living with us for about nine months. And there are times when I'm just like, I'm coming to my office. I just need a little time alone. And I'm not in any way trying to equate myself with Jesus, but the fact that he's, he gets on the boat and he falls asleep, because to him, I'm sure, he, maybe he knows what's coming, but he's got however long it takes to cross that lake, probably a couple hours, I just got a few moments to myself and I'm going to close my eyes. And I don't know if the God of the universe with skin on snores or not, but he's out. He's out enough that the wind comes up. There's a picture of Jesus that, we, that, that has to do with the other things that we're going to see in this passage that Jesus is so trusting of his father that even though an earthquake, a squall, even though his, 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 ex, his expert seamen who are disciples are sitting in the boat and, 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 and he, he can trust them that they know what they're doing, but they don't know what they're doing in this. And he's able to be all out fully asleep. That is trust. Now, granted, he may know that he can do something about it, Sure, he does, but his disciples are like, we're going to drown. And he got up and rebuked the wind and the raging waters, and the storm subsided, and all was calm. And then he asked them, where, 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 where's your faith? See, Jesus is exhibiting faith. 
by being completely content in the midst of chaos. And I would love, I, I, I will ask him when I get there, I would love to know what he said. I know one place it said, he, said, he stands up and he says, quiet, be still. Here it just says he rebuked it. I, when my kids were young and they were doing something they shouldn't do, I had this little thing, and I think I learned it from when we used to, uh, when we had new dogs in my home. Um, but if I saw them about to do something, like if a kid's about to stick a knife in, a, in, a, in an electrical socket, you don't go, honey, you go, ah! My grandpa had that. Ah! I don't know. I don't know. But I would love it if I find out that Jesus stood up and he goes, ah! <laughs> everything's quiet. He could have just stood up and went, shh. And there's probably somewhere in between there. Probably quiet, be still, whether that's with a loud voice or a quiet voice. I don't think he need to, needed to speak over the wind, the sound of the wind, because the very word that comes out from the mouth of God controls weather, controls physics, control. He's the one who, who wrote the code that makes the universe work. He can, shh. And the question he asks his disciples, where's your faith? We were going to die. But he was asleep. And then in fear and amazement, they ask one another, who, who, who is this? He commands even the winds and the water, and they obey him. And keep in mind that they're talking about nature, but they're also talking about the God of chaos, the God of weather. See, chaos in that, in that, uh, in that culture, not just the, not, I'm not talking specifically of the Jewish men that were in the boat, but there was a sense that the gods we're in control of all that stuff. And God, the God of the universe, speaks about bringing order in the midst of chaos. In fact, the very, the very first words of Scripture, um, it, it's to create, but it's to bring order out of chaos. So Jesus is showing them, it's not just that he controls the weather, it's that he speaks down to and silences the things that are meant to destroy humanity. And we're going to see that again right here. They sailed to the region of the Gerasenes, which is across, across the lake from Galilee. When Jesus stepped ashore, he was met by a demon-possessed man from the town. For a long time, this man had not worn clothes or lived in a house, but had lived in the tombs. And when he saw Jesus, he cried out and fell at his feet, shouting at the top of his voice, "'What do you want to do with me, Jesus, Son of the Most High?' Son of the Most High God, I beg you, don't torture me. And then we get uh, an, an explanation right after that, because Jesus has already addressed the man. It says, for Jesus had commanded the evil spirit to come out of the man. Many times it had seized him, and though he was, he was chained hand and foot and kept under guard, he had broken his chains and had been driven by the demon into solitary places. When Jesus asked him, what's your name? Legion. That means thousands. He replied, or Legion, he replied, because many demons had gone into him, and they begged him repeatedly not to order them back into the abyss, or in, order them to go into the abyss. A large herd of pigs was feeding there in the, on the hillside, and the demons begged Jesus to let them go into them, and he gave them permission. 
When the demons came out of the man, they went into the pigs, and the herd rushed down the steep bank into the lake and was drowned. Now, we're going to leave that, let's sit there just for a second. There, there is much going on here, as I know you know. Number one, were there thousands of demons in this man? The devil's a liar. He's the father of lies. He could have just been trying to intimidate the son of the most high God. He could have been saying, it's too much for you to handle. Or there could have been thousands. I don't know. But I do know this. The belief of the time was that chaos and weather and all that stuff were controlled by gods. Maybe not the Jews that believed that, but that was the idea in the region. And they tended to blame the gods for the things that were awful because the things that are awful seek to destroy. And here's this demon that has stole, these demons that have stolen the life of a man and they, they just utterly destroyed him. He doesn't get to be with his family. He doesn't get to have a job and then he just has these weird fits on other occasions. He's alone. He's alone even though he has guards and he's overpowered his chains multiple times. He's naked and afraid and tormented but he can't die. And I want you to notice, just like in the gospel according to Mark, the, 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 the beings that get Jesus right every time are the demons. They immediately know who he is. What do you want to do with a son of the most high God? They know that he's coming to bring order to chaos. He's coming to put what's wrong right. He's coming to flip the world right side up, but it's going to feel upside down. And they beg him to not send them back where they came from, but to throw us into these pigs, which, by the way, are raised to, to feed the people of the town and the Roman soldiers. And it's the last thing in the world that Jewish people would ever want to be around, pigs. And he gives them permission, but what do they do? They jump into the lake. They end up in the abyss. Because the demonic, the things that are not of God, what they do is they seek to steal, kill, and destroy. John 10.10, 10, the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy, but I've come that you might have life and have it in all of its fullness. That's what they do. They bring chaos. They bring harm. They bring torture. They isolate one person from another. So the goal of the enemy it's to not only isolate us from God, but to take what is part of our life that's good and pervert it. To make it so that our will has to be exercised through the enemy instead of allowing us to exercise our will on our own. It's the difference between the satanic, the demonic, and God is that God never forces his will upon you. He asks you to voluntarily submit yourself to his will. Not my will be done, but yours. But the enemy imposes his will upon you. So this man had been tortured so bad that he's naked, scarred, lives in the tombs, and even the guards can't restrain him. And Jesus, in a word, go. He's changed. But I want you to notice the nature of the enemy. He destroyed that man's life and then he, they destroyed the, the livelihoods of the people around. And look at their response. 
When those tending the pigs saw what had happened, they ran off and reported this in the town and countryside, and the people went out to see what had happened. And when they came to Jesus, they found the man from whom the demons had gone out, sitting at Jesus' feet, dressed and in his right mind. And they praised God. They were afraid. Those who had seen it told the people how the demon-possessed man had been cured. That word cured is sozo. It's, this, it's delivered, it's cured, it's healed, and it's saved. That's what that word means. When all of the people of the region of the Gerasenes, or then all of the people of the region of the Gerasenes asked Jesus to leave them because they were overcome with fear. So he got into the boat and he left. The man from whom the demons had, had gone out begged to go with him, but Jesus sent him away saying, return home and tell how much God has done for you. So the man went away and told, all, uh, and told all over town how much Jesus had done for him. So he became the first missionary. Now, I would think if I was that guy and I'm all good, that what I want to do is serve the one who freed me. And if you think of how Jesus called his disciples, they had to leave everything. And what was his command? Follow me. This man offers to follow, and Jesus goes, no, mm -mm, I want you to stay. The guy had to exercise faith. He's now healed, and the easy thing for him would be to go with the ones who think and now believe the same way he now believes. But Jesus sent him back to be a witness for him. Now, the people who, who were tending the pigs, they went into town, and they were a witness for Jesus, too. They told what he had done, and the people came, and they found out, they saw this man, they found out how Jesus had cured him, and what he had done. And we hear in the account from Mark that they were really concerned about what happened to their livelihood, which I think is a legitimate concern. But I find it curious that their response to what Jesus has just done is to send him away. And I want us to talk about that for a second. Sometimes we're terrified that Jesus might act or might not act. Save me, Lord. What about this situation, Lord? What? The disciples in the boat, he's sleeping. Aren't you going to do something? We're going to drown. Ah! I don't know if that's how it goes. I don't, I'm not. But notice the response. They're afraid he won't. And then when he does, they're afraid. This demoniac, Jesus has come out and he goes, what are you going to do to us, son of the most high God? Are you going to torture us? Just send, no, send us, send us into the pigs. And he does. And they kill the pigs. The people of the Gerasenes, they see the God of the universe do something utterly miraculous. And they're afraid of him, and they send him away. Do you want God to move in your world, in your country, in your county, in your city, in your home? Probably. I know there's something I've been praying for every single day since September 11, 2018. And I've yet to see it come to be. I'm not going to stop asking. I desperately want to see it happen. And I'm asking God to move. 
But if history tells me what my response will be when he does, is it will likely be fear. They're scared to death that he won't move, and then they're scared when he does because they find out something about God that they weren't sure they wanted to be true. Can God change your circumstances? Yeah. Will he? Yeah. Will it be what you want him? Will it be what you're asking specifically for? Or is he going to give you something better but harder? The question a Christian must ask themselves, I think, every day. Today, am I going to be faithful or fearful? There's a reason that 365, some say 366 times in the English Bible, that people are told, fear not, don't be afraid, or, why are you, or asked, why are you afraid, in response to something either with God's messenger, with God's commands, with God himself, or with, with the person of Jesus who is God himself. Because that is our natural response. When something, we see something, we hear something, we learn something that we did not know before, and we don't have control of, it's fear. And yes, fear when you're about to be swamped on a lake is legitimate. But keep in mind that Jesus, what he did, was something they didn't have control over, something they had not seen before, something they didn't know before, and something they weren't really expecting. I think they were expecting him to grab an oar. So as Christians, or as those considering Christ, what the Lord offers you <clears throat> that the world does not is confidence that the Father owns the world, owns the weather, owns the chaos, and will always be a God of order, a God of hope, and always calls us to, to, to be people of faith to be sure of what we hope for and certain of what we do not see. You see it in the demoniac. He had to go home alone and tell everyone what Jesus did for him. And he was going home to a hostile environment. Are we willing to go to hostile places because of the faith and assurance that comes from being, being followers of Jesus Christ? Or do we want someone else to go to hostile places and we just want God to make our lives comfortable? He's not going to do that. He's going to do what it takes to make us more faithful. And he's going to do what it takes to make us less fearful. Will we say yes, Lord? Or will we fight him along the way and try to send him away because it's not what we were looking for? That choice is ours. Let's pray. Lord, we bless you. We praise you. We thank you. And honestly, Lord, if we're, if we're honest, if we're really honest, we're terrified of you. We want you to do what we want you to do, <clears throat> but you want us to want you to do what you want to do. <laughs> Lord, your will be done in our lives, not ours. Give us courage when we need it, assurance when we're shaken 
and bring joy in the midst of trial. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.